following is a continuation in our series looking at the effects of sin on areas of our lives and how Jesus seeks to speak into them. We hope you enjoy. Alright, so tonight we're going to keep looking at our Reformed Deformed study and we're going to look at the topic of sexuality think that this is a very important topic for the church to be talking about because, as we'll say numerous times tonight, the culture is constantly teaching y'all about sexuality. And if the church is going to remain silent on this, then what's going to happen? Then we're just going to be inundated with how the culture describes this. So we're going to handle this with a lot of sensitivity tonight because it is a sensitive topic. But I do think it's an important topic for us to at least be having the conversations about. So let me pray for us and then we'll get started. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time. We thank you that you have designed us through your creation as male and female, and that is so important to your creative order. And we grieve what happened at the fall when sin came in and destroyed something that was good. But we thank you that through your Son, you are redeeming that. And through the work of him living perfectly on this earth and dying on the cross for our sins, you are calling us out of what is not good. You're drawing us into what is beautiful, and we ask that as we wrestle with this topic tonight, Lord, that you would challenge us, help us to think about how we view these things, and see the areas that are not good for us in our hearts, and also see the ways that we can speak positively about the way that you have created sexuality, Lord. Help us to be able to describe what a biblical sexual ethic actually looks like in a non-confrontational, respectful way to the world around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. right. I was reading a little book this week called Our Bodies Tell the Story by Christopher West. I want to read this quote to you. He says, The body is not only biological, since we're made in the image of God as male and female. The body, as we will unfold in some detail, is also theological. It tells an astounding divine story, and it does so precisely through the mystery of sexual difference and the call of the two to become one flesh. This means that when we get the body and sex wrong, we get the divine story wrong as well. Sex is not just about sex. The way that we understand and express our sexuality points to the deepest held convictions about who we are, who God is, who Jesus is, what the church is or should be, the meaning of love, the ordering of society, and the mystery of the universe. We live in a culture that celebrates and idolizes sexuality. All you have to do is turn the TV on. You can see that. All you have to do is scroll through your social media feeds and you see that all the time. Our denomination the PCA did a ad interim study on human sexuality a few years ago. And it's, it's actually a very, very good report. It's a very long report. I don't expect you to go read it. But it actually lays out how sexuality has become distorted and how we as the church can actually recapture how we describe these things. And I want to read part of this because it describes kind of the culture that we live in here. One of the writers at the report says, The modern moral story about sexuality creates a plot line of a struggle between courageous heroes and bigoted, oppressive villains, all toward a happy ending. The world that we live in will look at a biblical sexual ethic and say, that is so bizarre and so unbelievable, and why would anybody want to view sexuality in that way? To be a Christian and hold a biblical sexual ethic is a dangerous thing. I think we need to be honest with that. The world that you live in, okay? I know the schools that y'all attend. I know the the culture that y'all live in. The sexuality culture of today is constantly saying you need to accept everything about what we're believing or else you're a bigot or else you're a terrible human being. So I think we actually need to reframe our conversation about this. We need to recapture how we can talk about these things because I think the culture is so used to argumentative 
conversations about this topic that we need to approach it with a very gentle, compassionate, kind spirit. So one of the ways we do this is by acting as Jesus did, living and respecting and loving other people, speaking the truth in love, but also doing so with a great sense of tenderness. So here's what I would like us to see tonight. If you're taking notes. Sexuality is a gift from God, but it should never be misused, manipulated, or abused. Sexuality is a gift from God, but should never be misused, manipulated, or abused. So we're going to jump into our two questions that we've been going through all semester. How has the fall deformed this, and how is Jesus reforming it? So we're going to start with how has the fall deformed sexuality for us, and I'm going to invite Nathan up to read Genesis 2, 15 to 25. I want your eyes on the page as we read these passages tonight, because this is such a deep topic, and these passages are so important and good for us as we wrestle with this. So Genesis 2, 15 through 25. The Lord the man and put him in his garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heaven of the heavens, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, they, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up his place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall become woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother hold fast to his wife, and they shall become a flesh. And the man and woman were both naked and were not ashamed. In harmony, before the fall, Adam and Eve were both naked and unashamed. Okay? They walked amongst the garden. They lived together. They enjoyed life in the garden. Now, at the fall, they found themselves exposed and vulnerable. This is why God had to create coverings for them, because they were ashamed. They were fearful. They had these insecurities. And what we see at the fall touch on this in just a minute. We're going to see where the tension comes in, but I think this is a good place for us to be reminded that God created man, and he created man good. Now, what was the only thing at creation that was not good? You can answer this out loud. All right, Luke, say it out loud. Okay, the only thing that was not good at creation was that man was alone, and God recognizes this, and he creates a helper for man. Now, I want to make this distinction, especially for you guys, that the word helper here is not some sort of subservient thing. It's not something to be controlled or domineered. This is actually a very complimentary thing. This helper was to come alongside and complete Adam in his loneliness. Okay. I heard a pastor describe it this way. And I want you guys to let this sink in, especially you boys. God did not create a helper because you wanted one. He created one because you needed one. God created a helper not because you wanted one, but because you needed one. So what this means is both men and women, both men and women, are meant to love, respect, care for, cherish, protect each other. Because this beautiful relationship that God builds here, and I want you to see this language. When he says this at last, we don't get this in the English, but if you go and read the Hebrew and see where the emphasis is here, really what you can translate this as, wow. Adam likes what he sees. He looks at Eve and he sees her as beautiful and he wants to cherish her and take care of her and love her. He liked what he saw. And God created them for one another. He created men and women for each other, to complement one another, to help one another. We see this in verse 24 and 25. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, that they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and unashamed. Now, again, the problem 
comes at the fall. And I'm going to invite Caleb up to read 3.15 through 19. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing, and pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and you have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So again, in harmony, Adam and Eve lived in peace, naked and unashamed, but the fall created this tension between the two genders. So there's this tension that will always exist between these two established genders. Desires are now going to be contrary to one another, as it says in verse 17. So here's a few things that the fall did to this topic. Sexuality, now at the fall, becomes something that's used to control. It becomes something that's, it's becomes something that is used to manipulate, or simply just to fulfill selfish desires. So something that was beautiful at creation is now distorted, and it's twisted, and it becomes ugly. So a lot of bad things happened in this area at the fall, and we see this play out through the rest of the scriptures. There's all sorts of awful sexual atrocities in the Old Testament. And we can read those and be like, why in the world would the Bible talk about these things? Well, because it's a reality that we live in. We live in a sinful world where people do awful things. It also means that sexuality at the fall became something that we describe and we manipulate. Going back to our discussion last week about identity. We take something like sexuality and we want to be the ones in control and we get to define it. We get to say what is good and what is right. We want to try and be autonomous and control everything in our lives as the kings and queens of our universe. And we get to determine what sex and sexuality are. And that's, again, an effect of the fall. That's not what it was created to be. God created it as something good. Sin makes it broken. And if we set the terms, what's the problem? It's always going to be about ourselves. It's always going to be about what we desire. It's always going to be about what we want. The fall's breakdown of sexuality also leaves us with awful things like pornography. I know this is an issue for y'all in y'all's world. And this isn't just a guy's issue anymore. The statistics on this are alarming. And I agree for y'all because it's, it's right at our fingertips all the time. So we need to be constantly aware of what the world is telling us, and what the world is trying to show us, and what the world is trying to draw us into because it's so easy to just give in to the culture's desires, give in to the culture's push to get you to flaunt sexuality. It's a scary thing, but the good news is that Jesus does not leave us alone in this. Jesus wants to take something that is broken, and he wants to teach us about what the Bible says about sexuality, and he wants us to engage with him and with others around us, specifically older people in your lives, to talk about these things, so that we can have a true, good, biblical understanding of what God created this thing to be. Okay? So I want to read this quote. It says that maleness and femaleness is the fundamental way that we carry our relational design. Interestingly, the English word sexuality comes from the Latin word sexus, which means being divided or cut off, separated from one another. We typically don't think of sexuality in terms of separation, but that is precisely what it is. Our sexual desire, drive, and energy show we are separated and long to be connected both physically and emotionally. So all of us, because we're relational beings, have this deep-seated desire to be connected with other people. Okay? And what a flawed view of sexuality does is it takes that deep-seated desire, that good desire that God created at creation with Adam and Eve. He created them to be relational creatures. But a flawed view of sexuality looks at that and says, well, then I just need to go and take what I want. I need to go and get what I want. I need to do what I want to do. But God is saying, step back for a second. 
Let's see how Jesus speaks into this. How does the Bible speak into this? And that's exactly what we're going to do. I'm going to invite Luke up to read 1 Corinthians 6, 18 to 20. And we're going to answer the question, how does Jesus reform sexuality for us? So whatever you're ready, Luke. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 18 to 20. It says, We from sexual immorality, every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. The beautiful thing about what Jesus did, again, he doesn't leave us to just figure all this out on our own. He doesn't leave us to just wrestle with what the world and the culture is trying to tell us without giving us one another, without giving us the scriptures. He wants us to flee from sexual sin. He wants us to flee from all sin. But the good news is that what Jesus did at the cross is he covered our sin, and that includes sexual sin. His desire is that we turn from that sin towards him because he's trying to show us something much more beautiful. He's trying to show us something so much better. And he brings people out of their sin into relationship with him. And he does that because he loves his people. It's the whole purpose of what was going on in Genesis 3.15 when he says, I'm going to send someone to crush the head of the serpent. That is this promise that someone is going to be pursuing you and me. Our whole lives. Jesus is always looking at us and desiring that we be in relationship with him. And he wants us to run from these sins. And he wants us to turn towards him. He wants us to repent and turn from sin towards him. So when Paul pleads with the church to flee sexual immorality in verse 18, he does so because sexual immorality is always going to cause us to drive inward. It's something that's always going to cause a lot of shame. It's always going to be something that we want to keep in the dark. And if you go and read John's letters at the end of the New Testament, John is talking about how we need to be exposing our sin instead of keeping it in the dark. And let's be honest, sometimes that hurts. We don't like our sin being exposed. Does anybody like their sin being exposed? Who just like loves all your stuff just on the table and everybody can see it? Okay? Everyone can see your deepest, darkest things going on in your heart. No one likes that. Okay? But the scriptures are always saying, don't keep these things in the dark because the more you keep them in the dark, the more they want to stay in the dark. And the more they stay in the dark, the more shame you're going to feel about it. The more shame you feel about it, the more you're going to want to keep going into the dark. It's just this cycle. And we can't break it unless we start talking about it. We can't break the dangerous patterns of things like pornography or any kind of sexual sin if we never talk about it with anybody. And again, the wonderful thing is that Jesus gives us people in our lives to help us and to talk about these things. As Paul writes in 19 and 20, you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. We don't flee from sexual immorality because we want to be self-righteous. We flee from sexual immorality because God has bought us with the price of his son's blood. And if we go back to the passage that we've read so many times this semester, Genesis 1, 26 to 27, it talks about how we are made in God's image, which means we have dignity, we have worth. And because of that worth that he places in us, that is why we seek to honor God with our bodies. That is why we flee from sexual immorality. Because Jesus died for those sins, he wants us to honor him with our bodies. So as we conclude tonight, I want you to think about the way that the culture tries to speak into your life, into your mind's through your set of eyes. Uh, like I said earlier, we're always being inundated with sexuality on advertisements, on social media, through the movies, the TV shows, the video games. Just it, you name it, it's there. And unless we're thinking about this, we're going to start being desensitized to it. And the more we're desensitized to it, the less we care. And Jesus wants us to care about these things. So what does this mean for us? We have to be willing to speak truth in love as we think about what we believe. So as you think about what the Bible teaches, a biblical sexual ethic, how do we describe that to the world? How do we describe that to a world that looks at it and says, that's, that's so dumb. Why would anybody hold to that? It's boring. It's lame. Okay? 
how do we talk about what we believe? How do we talk about what the Bible says? I think we need to practice that. Okay? And one of our small group questions tonight is actually practicing that. How do we do that? How do we talk about this in kind, respectful ways? We must be willing to point out where sexuality has become distorted. And one of the ways that we can do this as men and women is to help one another. We need to quit viewing each other as objects. We need to quit treating each other as objects. We must be willing to submit to God's design for sexuality. And this may not match up with our view of it. Okay? And when that happens, what should we do? We should go to the scriptures and say, does how I view this match up with the scriptures say? And if what we view about sexuality doesn't match up with the scriptures, what should we do? We have to submit to what the scriptures say. We must be willing to talk about our struggles. As I said earlier, sin loves to remain in the dark. It wants you to live in your shame. It wants you to hide as much as you can. But the more we talk about this, the more the Holy Spirit works in our hearts and teaches us and shapes us and molds us. We need to be talking about it with somebody. Okay? I'm always encouraging you guys to find older people in your life to talk about things with. Somebody said it a few weeks ago. Old people are dope. Okay? That was you? Okay. Peer relationships are good. And you need to have peer relationships. You need to be talking about these things with your peers because you're living in their world. Okay? But you need people in your life that have wisdom. You need people in your life that have lived life. You need people that have perspective and can help you wrestle with these things. And those are such important relationships. I tell you all, all the time, you know who my best friend in the church is? John Mullman. He's like 90 years old. He's my best friend in the church. I love meeting with him because he can share so much wisdom with me on all of life's difficult topics. Okay? We need those older relationships to speak to us. Because, as we said earlier, sexuality is a gift from God, but it is never meant to be misused, manipulated, or abused. The good news is that we serve a Savior that loves us enough to speak into these things. And he loves us enough to provide us with each other and other people in our lives to engage with these conversations. So I know this is a lot in one night, and we're not going to like about everything that we could talk about with this topic. But I want this to serve as a conversation starter. How do we talk about this as Christians? How do we talk about this to the world that hates the way that we view sexuality? So we're going to go into small groups, engage with that a little bit, but first let's pray, and then we're going to sing the doxology together. Dear Jesus, we thank you so much that you have given us your word, and we thank you so much that you provide a way to live for us, Lord, because you want us to live in right relationship with you. So I do pray that as we wrestle with this very difficult topic, but a very pertinent one, that you would help us to submit to your word, to submit to what you tell us about sexuality. And Lord, help us to engage the culture, Lord. It can be so easy to get discouraged and beat down with the way that the world is nowadays, but you are constantly at work and you have not given up on us. You've not given up on this world. We just ask that you would please work in us as we seek to honor you with our bodies. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's stand and sing the doxology. Thank you for tuning in. We hope this has been helpful for you. Please keep an ear out for more audio upcoming from WYM.